0: Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton.
1: Now there may have been some that didn't like to hear that. That this is this has happened by the sovereign hand of God. That God did this. It's not that God abandoned you. It's not that God was not powerful enough to deliver you. God actually did this to you. Well then the next kind of conclusion then would be well then God must not be a loving God if he would do this to us he must not be a loving God no in fact he did this to you because he does love you. God chastens those whom he loves
0: for a child or teen facing the discipline of a loving parent they may not understand completely what's happening that understanding often comes years later with the benefit of hindsight as we try to understand this world and the hardships we face we often don't understand why God allows or causes certain things to happen. As Pastor Dan will explain in today's message, God, in His infinite wisdom and immeasurable love, allows these events and situations not as punishment, but as a chance to grow. Now, here's Pastor Dan in the book of Lamentations, chapter 1, for today's edition of Ring of Truth.
1: She did not consider her destiny. You should underline that in your Bible. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She had no comforter. Oh, Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy is exalted. She did not consider her destiny. She did not consider her future. And this is often the case when a person turns away from the Lord and a person starts walking in sin and walking in rebellion. They, they don't think it through to the end. They don't, they don't think it out. They don't think about the future. They're usually only thinking about the, the, the excitement of the sin and they're only thinking about themselves, but they're not thinking about the future of where this is going to take them. And you've seen it. You've seen it before. I've seen it. Uh, where somebody who is, it gets exposed, uh, it comes into the light that they're in some kind of sin, that they're caught up in something they shouldn't be, and they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. it. And, and you, you look at it, and you, and you think, well, h- what did they expect would happen? How do they expect this to work out? I mean, do they really think they could like, live a double life like this forever, and that somehow it's just all going to work out? They're not thinking about the future. And they're not thinking about their destiny. That God has a destiny for them. He's a destination. They're they're just thinking about the here and now. And sometimes if you have the opportunity to talk to a person who's just caught up up and wrapped up in sin like that, that has just brought destruction to their life or destruction to their family, and and you say, well, what, what were you thinking? They'll say, I don't know. I wasn't thinking. Because they're not thinking. They're not, they're not thinking of a way of how this is all going to work out. And I'm going to get away with this. They're just walking in the sin. and Enjoying the sin. Not thinking about their future. Jeremiah says here, her collapse was awesome. It was astonishing to see how she was brought down. I, man, I— to me, I feel like Verse 9 is such a warning about sin and rebellion. Did you did, They did not consider their destiny and their collapse was awesome. They weren't thinking about the future and, and, and how this ever would work out or how they would ever get away with this. And the collapse was astonishing to see. And you have seen that happen to people, whether you knew them or maybe it was some kind of celebrity that you didn't know personally. That once once they get exposed and once the sin comes out and man, they hit the pavement hard and the collapse is awesome. And that should that should uh, scare us straight to see that in someone else's life. Sin is pleasurable for a season, the Bible tells us. There is a joy in sin. There is an excitement to it. There is a thrill to it. And again, we can get so caught up in the thrill of it that we don't think about where is this going to take me? And where am I going to end up if I continue down this road? And how is this how is this going to bring devastation to my life and to my marriage and to my family and to my friends and to my ministry or whatever it may be? And it's gonna come down hard. Let it be a warning to us. He says there's no one to comfort her. She had no comforter. There's no one to help her. And again, isn't that the case when somebody you've seen this where someone they get caught up in some sin, it comes out, they get exposed, their collapse is astonishing, and and no one is there to comfort them. Right? Yeah, and, and, you know, uh, I, could, I could say the name of celebrities uh, or pastors, so, you know, well-known pastors that got exposed in some kind of sin, and you don't have any idea where they are today. They're just gone. And here maybe they had, a, a, you know, a, a national ministry. Everybody knew their name. And then it comes into the light what they're doing, and, they, and, they're, and they're alone, man. They are alone. They're abandoned. And it's like they just disappear. That's what happens. That's what happened to Judah. They've got no one to comfort them in their affliction. And they even cry out, "O oh Lord, behold, my affliction. For the enemy is, ex- is exalted. Verse 10, the adversary has spread his hand over all her pleasant things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, enter the temple, those whom you commanded not to enter your assembly. The the pagan Babylonians, they came into the temple. They stripped the temple of all of its treasure. We mentioned this, I think, last time, that the Babylonians, when they came into Jerusalem, they went into the temple, and before they destroyed it, they held a feast, they held a celebration for three days to one of their own gods in the temple. Then they burned it to the ground. They defiled it. Verse 11, all her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their valuables for food to restore life. There's still, there's still famine in the land after, after the destruction of the Babylonians, which is often the case in a, in a war that the people are still starving. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am scorned. Is it nothing to you, all who pass by, behold and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger? This, so This is Jerusalem speaking now to those that are passing by. You know, is there any sorrow like my sorrow? Have you ever seen sorrow so great as was in Jerusalem? And no one cared. They all just walk on by. They behold and see and they keep going. From above, he, God, has sent fire into my bones and it overpowered them. He has spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He has made me desolate and faint all the day. The yoke of my transgressions was bound. They were woven together by his hands And thrust upon my neck. He made my strength fail. The Lord delivered me into the hands of those. Who I am not able to withstand. Again Jeremiah is setting the record straight. This is the Lord's doing. God did not abandon them. As some may have thought. Some may have asked where is God? How could God allow this to happen? Why didn't God protect us? And Jeremiah makes it clear. The Lord did not abandon Judah. Some may have thought, well, isn't the God, isn't God, our God powerful enough to defeat the Babylonians? And maybe some concluded that our God is not powerful enough. We thought our God was omnipotent, that he was all powerful, but I guess he's not because we were defeated by the Babylonians. And and here Jeremiah is saying, no. He is all-powerful. And he, in fact, is the one who thrusts the yoke of Babylon onto Judah. The Lord delivered Judah into the hands of Babylon. Now, there may have been some that didn't like to hear that, that this has is, this is happened by the sovereign hand of God, that God did this. It's not that God abandoned you. It's not that God was not powerful enough to deliver you, God actually did this to you. Well, then the next kind of conclusion then would be, well, then God must not be a loving God. If he would do this to us, he must not be a loving God. No, in fact, he did this to you because he does love you. God chastens those whom he loves. See, Jeremiah is setting their theology straight. What they think about God and what they think about their circumstances, what they think about their affliction. This was God. God did this. God thrusts this yoke upon your neck because he loves you. He did this to chasten you, to correct you. Verse 15, the Lord has trampled underfoot all my mighty men in my midst. He has called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord trampled as in a wine press, the virgin daughter of Judah. Again, this is the Lord's doing the Lord. He says, the Lord trampled us. He trampled Judah in a wine press and a wine press is used in the Bible frequently to describe God's judgment. Usually, it's used to describe God's judgment against other nations, not against his own people. But here, it's talking about his own people. Isaiah 63, for example, there it says, speaking speaking to the Messiah, Jesus, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress And the Lord responds, I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples. No one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. That's talking about him taking vengeance upon the other nations that mistreated his people, judging the nations in the winepress of his wrath. His garments are covered with blood.
0: Pastor Dan will share the second half of today's message in just a moment. But first, he'd like to take a moment to tell you how you can receive prayer for your needs.
1: Do you need prayer today? Every week we receive prayer requests from our listeners. If you need prayer for anything at all, we would like to pray for you right now. You can share your prayer requests with us through our website, calvaryec.com. Again, that's calvaryec.com or through our church app or by calling us at 410-491-4592. And can I ask you to pray for us as well? Pray for the Ring of Truth Radio Ministry as we bring the Word of God to those who need it.
0: Thanks, Pastor Dan, and thank you for praying. Now, let's finish today's message.
1: Jesus, as he comes back, Revelation, he comes back out of riding out of heaven on a white horse, his robe dipped in blood, treading the winepress of God's wrath. But, but here, the Lord trampled as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. This is against his own people. Again, he's chastening them. Verse 16, for these things I weep, my eye, my eye overflows with water because the Comforter, who should restore my life? is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy has prevailed. Zion spreads out her hands, but no one comforts her. The Lord has commanded concerning Jacob that those around him become his adversaries. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. Jeremiah, as he sees what has happened to the city of Jerusalem, he's weeping. His eyes are overflowing with tears, he says in verse 16. You know, it's interesting in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus once asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And one of the answers they gave was, some say you're Jeremiah the prophet. That there was, there was something about the character of Jesus that reminded people of Jeremiah the prophet. And Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, which, which tells us, that Jesus must have been an emotional person, the way that Jeremiah was emotional, for people to say that about Jesus. Now we come to verse 18. And verse 18 is is a turning point in the chapter because Jerusalem finally confesses her sins. And here's what Jerusalem says in verse 18. The Lord is righteous, for I rebelled against his commandment. Hear now, all peoples, and behold, my sorrow, my virgins, and my young men have gone into captivity. So Jerusalem confesses her sins. You know, confession is absolutely necessary for there to be forgiveness of sins, to receive the forgiveness of God and to be reconciled to him. We must acknowledge our sin. We must accept responsibility for the things that we've done, for the wrongs, that we've done and we must accept responsibility for our sin without making excuses for our sins. And that's key. We can't make excuses for it. We can't say, well, I I know I did this, but I only did that because you were doing this. Right? "I, I lost my temper because you were pushing my buttons. If you wouldn't have pushed my buttons, I wouldn't have yelled. And we do we give like these qualified apologies. And and we don't really accept responsibility. We shift blame. We got that from Adam, right? Adam did that. God, it was the woman you gave me, right? He blamed God for giving him the woman, and he blamed the woman. And then Eve said, well, it was a serpent. There was nobody else left in the garden except the serpent. And so Eve said, well, it was a serpent that deceived me. Everybody's pointing the finger at someone else. And that's not accepting responsibility. And confession is necessary and when we confess our sins we can't make excuses for our sins we can't blame others for our behavior we just have to accept responsibility for it and to and and to just acknowledge to god i sinned i admit it i was wrong I, i shouldn't have done that i shouldn't have acted in that way and it's it's necessary for us to do that for there to be forgiveness we have to acknowledge our sin without making excuses. We have to take responsibility for our, for our actions. The Bible says in Proverbs, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. First John says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. The confession is saying to God, God, you're right, I was wrong. I admit it. What I did was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. Please forgive me. Please cleanse me by the blood. Please put my sins under the blood of Jesus Christ. And the promise is if we confess our sins, the promise is he will forgive us. It's automatic with God. And he will cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. The Bible says the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. That's what he's looking for. Not not excuses, not justification. Not blaming others, not qualifying. Just I was wrong, and I admit it. And I accept responsibility for it. Look at verse 18 again. The Lord is righteous. This is this is you know Jerusalem collectively here speaking and saying the Lord is right. The Lord is right to punish us. The Lord is right to send us into captivity. That that's what we did we deserve because we rebelled against his commandments. See, there's no excuses here. There's no justification. The Lord is righteous, for I rebelled against his commandment. Hear now all peoples and behold my sorrow, my virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. Again, he's confessing here. I called for my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders breathed their last in the city while while they sought food to restore their life. It's just, it's just more confession of sin. I, I did call for my lovers. That's true. I did turn to other nations for help and protection instead of calling upon the name of the Lord for help. I am guilty of that. See, O oh Lord, that, that I am in distress. My soul is troubled. My heart is overturned within me. For I have been very rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves at home it is like death. There's no peace anywhere. But again, he confesses, I've been very rebellious. He's not, he's not trying to sugarcoat it. They have heard that I sigh, but no one comforts me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. Bring on the day you have announced that they may become like me. There's a judgment for all nations. Let all their wickedness Come before you and do to them as you have done to me for all my transgressions. For my size are many and my heart is faint. You know, confession is the first step in restoration. And and we can can do the dance and we can make the excuses and argue and point fingers. But there's just got to be a point where we say, you know what? I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. And I admit it. And that's, that's when God can begin to work. And that's when God can start that process of, uh, of restoration. The forgiveness is automatic with God. And then there's this process of restoration that will take place. And we know with the children of Israel that are in Babylon, this process will take place where God will bring them out of the captivity. And what will God do? we bring them back into their land. He's going to allow them and help them to rebuild their city, Jerusalem. And he's going to allow them to rebuild their temple. And he's going to start over with them. What does the Bible say? His mercies are new every morning. Right? We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. It's automatic. He cleanses us. And then he begins this process of restoration and he lets us start over and he lets us rebuild and he lets us reestablish all the things, right? All the things that we lost by our own rebellion, by our own sin. Jerusalem is destroyed because of the people. The temple is burned to the ground because of the people. And God is going to allow those same people the opportunity to come back and rebuild and start over and reestablish the relationship all over again. And he does that with you and he does that with me on a weekly basis, sometimes on a daily basis, where he says, all right, it's a new day. I give you a blank sheet. Let's do it again. And we mess that up. And he says, give it another shot tomorrow. Here's another blank sheet. Let's try it again. Isn't that amazing? That he who began the good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Until the day that you stand before Jesus Christ. Then we're going to be free from sin. Sin will be removed. And we'll finally be complete. And he'll say, Well done. Good and faithful servant, and we won't have to do another do over, not another blank sheet. Just with Him forever and ever and ever, Amen.
2: He asked me how I know, and I say, truer than the finest crystal."
0: That's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. Thanks for joining us as we learn from the Book of Lamentations together. This book can be complex. But the writer was very clear when he wrote that the Lord is faithful even in the midst of trials and tribulations. Put your hope in the living God and He will meet you where you're at. If you'd like to hear this message again or more teachings from Pastor Dan, we invite you to visit our website, CalvaryEC.com. There you'll have access to our library of previous messages. Available to listen to online or download to take with you on the go. That website again is CalvaryEC.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Each time we post a new teaching, you'll get a notification and be able to listen right away. We'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us as we continue to build this ministry. God is using programs like Ring of Truth to share the message of the gospel through a virtual mission field. Now, more than ever, people are being reached through radio and online teachings. We're so glad we can be a part of it, and we're eager to see where God will take us next. Would you join us in seeking God's will for this ministry? We know God listens to the prayers of his people, and we appreciate you partnering with us in this way. Thanks for joining us today. In our next edition, Pastor Dan will continue teaching verse by verse through the Book of Lamentations, right here on Ring of Truth.
2: I see the signs and I recognize